All right, if you're ready for the word, say I'm ready. We're, we're ending the, the Life of David series today, and, and I want to review where we've, where we've been this summer because I think it's important to recap all of the things we've learned from David's life. Today is a very simple uh, message, and week one, in case you missed any of these, we talked about humans make for really bad kings. Um, the Israelites were begging for an earthly king. They had access to the king of kings, but they wanted a king like other nations, and they got exactly what they asked for. They got King Saul. In week two, we learned about David being chosen, anointed, and appointed from the sheep pen. He was being faithful with his father's sheep. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He, he was humbly serving in a season of preparation, and he was chosen out of that place. In week three, we talked about David and Goliath. We reminded you, in case you learned in Sunday school, that you are David and you need to channel your inner David and conquer your giants. Part of that is true, but we are not David in the story. Amen. David is a foreshadowing, a picture of a great king that would come. His name is Jesus, and he would come and conquer sin, hell, death, and the grave. And that is something to give God praise about. And so we learned that this king would come, and this was a, a picture of the giant of sin being uh, defeated. In week four, Pastor Micah talked about Jonathan and David being one in spirit, that we need covenant relationships in our friendships. And then in week five, uh, we talked about envy and jealousy, and that was a spicy one. Um, there was not a lot of people saying amen during that sermon, because it's like, ah, this is hard to hear. Envy is interesting because out of the seven deadly sins, it's the one that will never for even one second bring you any gratification or joy, any amount of happiness because it robs you from the very beginning. This is a picture of Saul's eyes being fixed on David and David's eyes being fixed on God. Week six, we learned about a lesson from the cave. This is in the Bible. Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself and use the bathroom. And David had been fleeing for his life. He had an opportunity to kill King Saul, who was chasing him at that time. And he decides to trust in God's plan instead of his own ambitions and his own desires. And he's obedient. And we learned that God's way is always better than ours. Can I get an amen? Week seven, we learn that David becomes king and we see his fall. David and Bathsheba. He goes from having his eyes fixed on God to having his eyes fixed on Bathsheba, who's bathing on the roof. He goes and he sleeps with her, and he ends up having a baby. He has this lady's husband killed. Uriah gets killed on the battlefield, and now he is an adulterer. He's a murderer. And from that day on, his life is in a downward spiral. And last week, did y'all enjoy my brother Ricky coming and teaching last week? I think he did so far, but... Um, he, uh, but I, I told, I said, maybe C minus, you know, C plus, if we're being real generous, um, I could say that he's my older brother. Um, he, he talked about da uh, David being confronted by Nathan. Nathan calls him out on his sin. Is anybody thankful for good friends that'll call you out when you need to be called out? And, and so he, he repents and he asks for forgiveness, but we start seeing the rest of his life that he is seeing the ramification and the consequences of his sin. So week nine today, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I had no clue what to cover and how to wrap this whole thing up today because the truth is so much happens in David's life after his moral failure. 
A lot of stuff starts falling apart and unraveling. David's family starts falling apart. And 2 Samuel, to be honest with you, the end of 2 Samuel looks a lot like a, a Jerry Springer episode, all right? And so if you think you got issues in your family, go read the end of this book, all right? Because you will be encouraged in Jesus' name. This is a summary of what happens, and we're going to land with some practical things today. David's son, Amnon, sleeps with his own sister, Tamar. This happened right um, over in Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> right where Tiger King was filmed. And I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, I was, I was going to say Louisiana, but anyways. Uh, Arkansas gets a bad rap, I'm just saying. So, uh, and then his big brother, uh, Absalom, kills his younger brother, Amnon. And then Absalom leads a revolt against his father, David. It gets crazy. David flees, and he's running for his life for the second time. Except this time, it's not King Saul who is chasing him. It's his own son who is trying to take over the throne. Absalom gets killed by David's men. David is devastated. He mourns the death of his son. David is absolutely distraught. And this is what we see in the last few chapters of David's life. A victorious king is now in a very vulnerable position. David shows us that God opposes the proud and he gives grace and he exalts the humble. Despite the evil and the brokenness of humanity, you need to hear this this morning, God is still at work. He's still on the throne. God is going to hold true to his word and bring about a king out of the lineage of David. And then David dies. We see his son, Solomon. Everybody say Solomon. Solomon started pretty well. He, he begins to ask the Lord for wisdom. That's his first request. But then he goes on just like every other leader in the Old Testament making very, very poor decisions. Starts as Solomon marries hundreds of daughters from other kings. Solomon then adopts their gods and introduces them to the Israelites and they begin to worship them. He becomes rich. He has a giant army. The kingdom is growing. And by the end of Solomon's life, his life looks a lot more like Pharaoh than his own father, David. It's, it's wild to me. If you look at the Old Testament, you see this pattern that happens. It's same story, different person. It's same story. Their sin looks different. The measure of their sin is different, but it's the same repetitive story of a human trying to be a king and be an authority and be the boss. It's awful leadership. Sin is rampant, the leader dies, someone else takes over and repeats history. That's really the summary of how this whole thing pans out, proving the point of how we started this entire series. And it's, I want you to write this down. Humans make for really bad kings. It, it, this cycle happens all throughout the word. Humans make for really bad kings. And this is a strong encouragement and, and suggestion today for you to get off of the throne of your own life and give God his rightful place. And I want to tell you that I'm not apologetic about that because I'm telling you I tried to be the king of my own life and boy, do I make a really bad king. <laughs> Jesus is on the throne. He wants to be on the throne of your life. And all of this leads me to this question, how in the world, just go here with me, how in the world... After we hear all of this about David's life, 
is he remembered and known as a man after God's own heart. Does anybody else wrestle with that? Can we just be honest today? I've wrestled with it all summer. How in the world is this guy remembered as a man after God's own heart? We just reviewed his resume. His resume is not very good. He made a lot of bad decisions. He may have made just as many mistakes as any other leader in the Old Testament. How is this sinful, arrogant, prideful, murderous, adulterous man known as a man after God's own heart? And this is where I want to focus this in today. We've talked about the highs and lows. We've talked about the mountaintops and, and the valleys. But at the end of the day, It's in the word of God that he is known as a man after God's own heart. And it's because of this, his faith in God, his trust in God, his love for God, his personal humility, his integrity, his repentance, and his worship. I want you to see this. He is not sinless, but he was strong in the Lord. He didn't always ace it. He was not a saint But he was sanctified. He became more like Christ through the process. He is not perfect, but hear me today. Everybody look at me. He was purposeful. The Bible says that he served his purpose here on earth, and we're going to dig into that today. Write this down. David started strong and finished strong. He started strong and he finished strong. In the beginning of his life, As we said earlier, he humbly served his father, taking care of the sheep. He was being faithful where he was placed, fighting off lions and bears. And he goes on to take down a giant and he's anointed as the king. And he humbly serves King Saul. All this goes down. But then we see this big downfall with Bathsheba. And he has his eyes fixed on his own desires and lust. And he loses his identity and his character in the process. So we see the downward spiral like we talked about earlier, but 1 Kings chapter 2, and it's going to be on the screens. You can go there in your Bible. This is where things really kind of get summarized of how he finished the race. He finished strong. He passes the baton to his son Solomon. Verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 2, it says, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of the earth, he said. He's about to die. So be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. He says, walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. This is interesting. If your descendants, if is one of my favorite words in the Bible, because it requires a response from you and me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all of their heart and all of their soul, you will never fail. And you will have a successor on the throne of Israel. I think it's interesting. David basically ends his life by saying, do as I say, not as I what? Do. Y'all ever been told that? I'm like, hold up. I want to do what you do. I don't want to just do what you say because it's interesting. He, he started strong and he finished strong, but the middle of his life was absolute, complete chaos. Maybe you can relate with that this morning. 
He says, be strong in God. He's telling Solomon, I don't know about you, but I want a blessed life. I want God's provision in my life. He, he lays out the recipe. Be strong in God. Be a godly man or a godly woman. Observe the word and do what it says. And if you watch how you live and if you walk faithful, faithfully with God, you will see God's blessing in your life. It's interesting. A lot of us want to get to the end part of that without doing the beginning. David sprints through the finish line of the faith, honoring the Lord. And hear me, he directs his son down this narrow path of obedience. Like we said earlier, Solomon started strong and he, he starts giving into his own desires and his own lust. Interestingly enough, I saw this this week in Acts chapter 13, verse 36 David is remembered as a man who actually accomplished God's purpose. It says, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, this is years and years later, he's being remembered. It says that he died, he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. Another translation says, David did the will of God in his generation. This is my prayer for you today, that you would do the purpose of God for your life in your lifetime, that you would do the will of God in your lifetime, that you would be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Very simple, but would y'all agree, even though it's very simple, it's not always so easy to do it? It's very simple, it's not so easy to do it. He served God's purpose. I want you to write that down. Despite all of his sin, all of his shortcomings, he finished the race well. So it brings me to today's question. In 2023, I'd say one of the weirdest times to be alive, but it's a great time to be a Christian. Can I, can I have an amen? It, the, the world is crazy. In 2023, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, off College Avenue in New Life Church on Sunday morning in the first service, and Yoheine is in a seat right here, right now. You are breathing in oxygen. Your heart is beating. You're thinking, where is this going? This is the question. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for you, and what does this mean for me? How do we become men and women after God's own hearts and how do we fulfill God's purpose in our lifetime? And the answer is very simple this morning. I want you to write this down. Care about what God cares about. Care about what God cares about. It's interesting, the simple things in life are usually the first things to go. We need to care about what God cares about. So what does God care about? I want to give you these four things, and then we're going to end this morning. Write this down. The great commandment, known as the greatest commandment. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and strength. This is the first and what? Greatest commandment. And it says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody look at your neighbor real quick. Be like, oh, Lord. <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting because um, I, I, I want you to throw those ne that next slide up there. I want to give you this. To return hate for love, I would say that's to be demonic. To return love for love, that's to be human. Anybody can love people that love them. Would you agree? But to return love for hate 
That's to be like Christ. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you for me, I need God's help to do that. (laughs) God is saying, love him. And from the overflow of that, love the people around you. And only the power of God that lives inside of you would allow you to do that. So I get the first part, love God. Okay, check that. I got that. Okay, God, awesome. You're good. You're faithful. You sent your son to die for me. You gave me grace. You love me with an, with an unfathomable love. You give us grace. You, you provide. You lead us. You direct our steps. The list goes on and on. You design me with your, with your own hands. You've got a plan for my life. I can love God, right? It seems pretty easy to love God. But my neighbor? My, you want me to love my neighbor? What if I don't like all my neighbors? What if I don't like all the people that I see in life? Well, love the people that have lied, the people that have hurt me, the people that have gone behind my back, the people that don't show grace, the people that are toxic and explosive, the people that don't even love God. Does anybody else wrestle with this? So hold up, God, you're telling me to love people who don't love me and they don't love you either. And this is God's answer. Everybody look at me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 100%. Without a shadow of a doubt, listen, this is how they will know that you are my disciples. John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. God says, absolutely. And I think, yeah, this is very, very foundational today, but when life gets crazy, the simple things go out the window. And this is what I know is true about the end of summer going into fall. Life gets crazy and the simple things have started to go out the window. Can we remember this morning the greatest commandment? Love God and love people. But but the same is true when you love one another. That's awesome. But what happens when you don't? I would say it this way, when you are not loving and joyful or patient or kind, it is nearly impossible for a broken humanity to see the Jesus that we call king. Because he wants us to be his example and ambassadors in a broken and fallen world. Love God, love people. The second thing that we need to care about, write this down, is the great commission. So we have the great commandment, the greatest commandment, and the great Commission, Matthew 28, it says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. Y'all say everything. Everything. Not just the stuff you like. Not just the stuff that sounds cute on a Sunday. I'm going to talk about that next. Everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love that Jesus didn't say, go make Christians. I love that he didn't say, go make converts. I love that he didn't say, get a bunch of people to raise their hand on a Sunday. Get a bunch of people to fill out a card. No, he says, go into the world and make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything that I've told you. And by the way, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. We've got to care about the great commission. This is what I've been praying for as a church. I pray that as a church, we would be passionate about the gospel going into all of the world, not just the places that we want it to go. Going into every cubicle, going into every locker room, every office space, every classroom, and every other country that we may not walk either. 
that it would go into all of the earth. I pray that as a church that we would have a burning desire to see a region and a city set ablaze for Christ. I pray that we would get fired up by opening the word of God just as much as we get excited about a new series dropping. Can I get an amen? Like that we would be so hungry for God's word. I pray that the the covers of our Bibles would be so jacked up because it is transforming our life. I pray that we would have a desire to study the word of God like never before. I pray that every member of this church would own a physical Bible in Jesus' name because this thing ain't gonna notify you and distract you. My heart is that we would see the great commission in action in this church. Write down the the third one, the great cost. So it's the great commandment, the greatest commandment, the great commission, and third, it's the great cost. This this is so true. Grace is free. Would y'all agree? It's a free gift from God. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it, but he gives it. He lavished it on us. Grace is free, but truly following Jesus will cost you everything. This isn't popular preaching in 2023, by the way. Grace is free, but if you want to grow in the things of God, it will cost you everything. What do I mean by that? There are some phrases of Jesus in the Bible that I believe personally, they do not get preached enough. And here's one of those in Mark 8. Jesus walks off of the scene in Mark 8. He had just multiplied all this food. Have you all read this? That he multiplies the bread and he feeds all of these people, thousands of people. And there are people coming from all over the place to see who this guy is. And hear me, they want to know what this guy can do for them. And so they're all gathering around him. And it's interesting. Jesus doesn't preach a very light, joyful, life-giving message. Do you know what he preaches? He preaches a message to thin the crowd. This is what he says. Mark 8, 34, then he called the crowd. This big miracle had just happened. He called the crowd to him along with the disciples. And this is what he said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must, everybody say must, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? It's interesting. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. When he comes in in his father's glory with the holy angels. This is a bold passage of scripture. Would y'all agree? That's not one people put up on their fridge. You could do anything and everything. It's like, no, die to yourself today. Like, Like lay down your own desires and your own dreams and your own passions and pick up what God calls you to do. This is this is completely controversial in the world that we live in. Deny yourselves. What does that mean? It's not about you. Everybody say, it's not about me. That may set you free today. I learned that 11 years ago. Seth, this life is not about you. It is about getting the gospel into the earth and seeing lives transformed for the, for the sake of Christ. It's not about me. And then take up your cross. What does that mean? To carry a cross means you got to lay something else down. Grace is free, but growth will cost you everything. 
Because there will come a day where you got to start laying some things down that you don't want to lay down. There's going to come a day to where you got to start making some sacrifices that you don't want to sacrifice. I can tell you, when those days came for me, I was sad. I remember pushing things aside that I wanted to hold on to for the rest of my life. There was addictions. There were strongholds. There were things that I had to lay down at the foot of the cross because growth is going to cost me something. But how many want to know it was worth it? When you lay those things down, you pick up your cross and you follow Jesus. It's no longer your own way, it's his way. He says, you save your life by losing your life. You save your life by losing your life. He thinned out that crowd really quick. Do y'all want to know? <laughs> he starts telling people, if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, they were like, is this a vampire? They're like running, you know. That didn't happen. I just inter inter interject that. This is what they realized. There's going to be sacrifice to follow this guy. A lot of people love the idea of a savior and Jesus is a savior. But let me, let me tell you this, from this entire summer, I wanna encourage you with the truth that just as much as Jesus is a savior, he wants to be your king. And by him being your king, it means that something has to be laid down for the sake of Christ. Because, everybody look at me, you can't have two kings. You can't be on the throne in Jesus as well. One has to bow to the other, and I suggest that you do the bowing. This is something our men's group prayed this Wednesday. We've still got a few left before the fall, before we launch all of our men's Bible studies. I encourage you guys, if you can get here Wednesday at 6 a.m. for the next couple weeks, it will bless you. We prayed this this week. Lord, and I want you to write this down. Kill me. I'll explain. Don't think I'm crazy. <laughs> Lord, kill me. Fill me and send me. A mentor of mine told me this recently, kill me, fill me, and send me. This is a prayer for this fall for me and my family. Kill me. Lord, would you kill my flesh? Would you kill my own desires, my pride, my ego? Kill off anything that is not of you so that I can be fully submitted to you. And fill me, what do we want to be filled with? His spirit, I want to be filled with his word. I want to be filled with his compassion and his joy and his kindness, the fruit of the spirit, so that when I encounter people, that I can show them Christ. Fill me and then send me. A lot of people just want to be sent, but they don't want to be killed and filled to begin it. God, kill me, fill me, and then send me. Send me where? God, I dare you to ask this question this morning if you want to be bold. God, where do you want me to go? He may lead you straight to your bedroom at home to apologize to your spouse. I'm not talking about going on foreign missions. I'm talking about the mission in your house. He may send you to a place that you don't want to go. God, what do you want me to do with my life? I double dog, triple dog dare you to pray that one. And he will probably share something with you that's a little uncomfy. God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to reach out? Where do you want me to start to serve? How do you want me to give? How do you want me to serve the community? This is when your faith becomes action. God cares about the greatest commandment. He, he cares about the great commission. He cares about this great cost that he's called us to sacrifice. But listen, hear me. There is a great reward. And it's the greatest reward, I'm telling you. You may get a raise. 
in your life, nothing is better than getting what God has to offer you. You may get a girlfriend and you ain't had a girlfriend in 10 years or a boyfriend, whatever. You, you could get married, you could have kids, you could do all of these things. Nothing is greater than the reward. Forgiveness of your sins, grace and mercy, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, purpose and passion, eternity in heaven. Y'all, this is the greatest gift. This is the greatest reward. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you the way that I want to aim my life from this day forward, I want to care about what God cares about. And my prayer this morning is very simple, very simple message today. It's just a gentle reminder, maybe not so gentle, but it's a reminder to care about what God cares about. Because the reality is, there's a great command, there's a great commission, there's a great cost, there's a great reward, but let me tell you, church, there is a great opportunity ahead of us as a church. I believe we're gonna impact more people in this next season than we've ever impacted in, in the existence of our church. Like, I believe it. I believe there's ministries gonna start. I believe people are gonna be called to ministry. Colossians 4, what we read earlier, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Season with salt so that you know how to answer everyone. I'm gonna ask these questions before we pray. Will you fulfill the purpose of God in your lifetime? Will you be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Will you care about what God cares about? David started and he finished really strong. But y'all, David missed a lot of opportunity in the middle. And when I think about our church, I think about the families and individuals gathered here today watching online right now, I want to be confident that we are running the race well, that we're doing what God's asked us to do. And so I want, I want you to make this personal. If you would close your eyes across the room, I wanna read Psalm 40 before we pray. Just have a moment with the Lord right there in your seat. Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord. I believe this and they will put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord.